Welcome to Talkumentaries, where we'll discuss a different documentary each week. This week, we're discussing There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane, the 2011 documentary film about a 2009 automobile accident on the Taconic Parkway in upstate New York. A suburban mother drove the wrong way and crashed head-on into an SUV, killing herself and seven others. Investigating the case six months after the accident, this documentary searches for answers to a mysterious and senseless tragedy. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video and HBO. This podcast will contain spoilers, so listen at your own risk. This was directed by Liz Garbus, who also directed What Happened to Miss Simone, which we recently talked about. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about, but one thing that struck me was they started this documentary filming six months after the accident. Mm So her husband, Daniel, was obviously in denial Mm -hmm. of the facts. And, you know, that's part of the grieving process. Mm -hmm. I felt really sorry for him due to the fact that he had to do all that in front of a camera. Mm -hmm. So in his search for finding a medical reason why she would have done this, I don't know. It felt kind of sad because I felt like he never really had an opportunity to step back and think about it. He was just reacting and hadn't really come to terms with the facts yet. He's been in defense mode since yeah day one. Yeah. I remember when this story first broke, and obviously the first thing they suspected was that she had been drinking. She mm-hmm. was barreling down the Taconic Parkway at top speed, not care in the world, according to the people who saw the look on her face. She didn't mm-hmm. seem that she was angry. She didn't seem that she was crying. She just seemed, described her as almost serene. Yeah. Just driving along at 65 miles an hour the absolute wrong way down the parkway. So these people are dodging her left, right, and calling frantically 911. This woman's got a minivan, and it looks like there's kids in there. And, and so when she ends up colliding with somebody, obviously the first thing they suspect is alcohol. And... When that was confirmed, after the toxicology report, she was found to have more than twice the legal limit of alcoholism. Right. Um, something the medical examiner, I think, equated to about 10 shots yeah. of vodka yeah. in her system. And who knows what she drank before that that was already metabolized. And a high level of THC. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed that for the days in between the accident and the tox report being Released that there was plenty of room for denial for her family. But right. You would think once the tax report is out and this is what it says, there's no more room to pretend it was anything else. Yeah. But it also sounds like people who knew her really well were adamant that she wasn't just. You feel like you would see signs in somebody when they are have that big a problem with alcohol. Yeah. If they are alcoholic enough to the point where they would drink a bottle of vodka Mm -hmm. with kids in the car, you would think you would have seen them stumbling around at some point, Mm -hmm. or you would have found bottles squirreled away around Mm -hmm. the house or. That's true. But then when I stepped back and thought about who they talked to in the documentary, they didn't really interview anyone that she worked with day to day. 
They didn't. She in, spent a lot of time at work. She was. She spent a lot of time at work. Uh, they didn't interview current friends a lot. They did. I guess the couple were currently friends, mm-hmm. but then they interviewed people that she was friends with growing up, who really hadn't yeah. been close in ten years. Yeah, they did offer some insight into what sort of an upbringing she had that mm-hmm. could lead her to to substance abuse. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. I thought that was important to the story, but I would have liked to have heard from anybody who saw her on a daily basis outside of the family. Probably have some insight because she had a like a six figure job, a Mm -hmm. director position at a cable company. Yeah, and so she was not somebody who was just picking up a few hours here and there. Right. She put a lot of time into work, and um, you're right. There would have been some visible signs there. Well, and they didn't talk to the Hanses, who were the parents of the three nieces who were in the minivan who died. Mm -hmm. So they may have had insight too and just didn't want to talk to the press or talk to the documentary filmmakers. So, well, and the I thing I remember about the news coverage after this, once that toxicology report confirmed that she had not just alcohol, but um, THC in her system, all of a sudden there were all these news stories exploding all over the place about this secret epidemic of alcoholism with suburban moms. Yeah. And, you know, at the time I thought, oh, this is really overblown. It, it struck me as like, those shark stories, you know, when there's one big shark bite in Florida or something, suddenly the news is just crawling with, well, you know, there's sharks here, there, and everywhere, and here's an aerial view of Atlantic Beach, and there's sharks there, too. Mm-hmm. And it feels like an overreaction to an isolated event. That's what I felt like this was, but then over the next few years, I'll be darned if now I know at least a half a dozen suburban mothers who are in recovery yeah. from alcohol. So yeah. there does seem to be some truth to that that I know there's kind of a quiet life that people don't always know about well there's yeah that's the other part of this that really struck me I felt some empathy for her I feel like she made a really bad decision Mm -hmm. to be behind the wheel Mm -hmm. being that drunk that was really bad decision making on her part but you know when you think about her life her sister-in-law said at one point in the documentary, her husband didn't want to have children. And he said, if you want to, you're going to have to do everything. Mm-hmm. He was working nights, so he wasn't around except on the weekends. Add to that the fact that she was the breadwinner with a six-figure job. Mm-hmm. And then add to that the fact that like the mother-in-law said at one point about her son was like her oldest child. You know, mm-hmm. He was like another child for her. And then... Even the part where someone mentioned the fact that Diane ironed every piece of clothing, that alone, I think, would be enough to drive anyone to drink. Yes. And just make you crazy. And it speaks to her need to control everything and have it perfect. And then she was driving home with five kids in a minivan. So she made a horrible decision, but... I think she was probably under a lot of pressure and didn't realize how drunk she was getting. You know, her situation made me think about there's a blog post that's gone viral recently. I don't know if you've seen it. It's drawn in like a cartoon format and it's called You Should Have Asked. Mental load. About mental load and what the mental load is for most of the women in our society. Mm -hmm. You've got the kids. You've got to manage their lives and their world. You've got to manage and organize everything in the household. And then on top of that, you've got 
you know, the things that you want to do with your life, you know, like run a business or have a job or a hobby right. even. Right. And then the little <clears throat> fires to put out in the meantime. The fires to put out every time you turn around, there's something to be done. And then in the middle of it all, it was the fucking laundry. I right. hate laundry <laughs> so much. I mean, if, if I had my way, we would all have disposable clothing or like something that would just disintegrate and you could throw it out in the woods, you know, and you wouldn't have to ever worry about laundry. Right. <laughs> because I feel like nobody has ever changed the world by washing the same clothes over and over. <laughs> you know? Well, that's when I get on my trashy TV viewing. <laughs> When there's laundry to be folded, I feel like, okay, well, now since I'm doing something constructive, I can indulge in, you know. Well, that's true. It's just, it's hard to be creative or think about, you know, curing cancer when you've got to stop and fold the stupid clothes. And (laughs) Anyway, sorry about the rant. But I mean, yeah, so she had more than your average mental load. She was under a lot of pressure. This was on top of an upbringing where her mother left when she was very young, and she, as the only female child in the family, sort of took on this mothering role. Yeah. So she felt like she was looking after her siblings all the time, and then she grew up into this, you know, high-powered professional and was taking care of that all the time, and then had these kids that she wanted to bring into the world she was looking after, and then she had this kid that she'd married that she was looking after. And so I think they made a good case for why she would have been a good, for lack of a better term, for alcoholism, that, you know, you could see why she would be susceptible to that. Yeah. But what still remains such a mystery to me is why, even if you were a known alcoholic, even if you were openly drinking a lot Mm -hmm. every day, why, on a trip that should have taken 35 minutes Mm -hmm. from a campsite this nice little family gathering you had from a campsite to home. It should have taken 35 minutes. It was this long, meandering, right, hours-long thing. And out of the way. And way out of the way. And then yeah. Yeah, that is weird. It not sense. But, I mean, some people speculate it was like a suicide mission, that she had gotten some sort of bad news either on the way home or during the weekend, either from her husband or a phone call. I just can't imagine taking your children and your nieces along on a suicide mission. I know. The most compelling theory that I've seen for this is uh, that maybe she had some THC edibles. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. That if you want the THC in your system, you don't necessarily have to smoke it. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Can, there are edibles that you can get. Yeah. Like brownies or candies, lollipops, whatever. Right. But those old, you know, even where they're legally made and distributed, like Colorado, they're labeled heavily saying, yeah. you know, watch your pace with these because they can sneak up on you and make you really high too yeah. fast. And that maybe she got a hold of some edibles got incredibly high, a a lot higher than she meant to, a lot faster than she meant to. She was just going to try to get a little relaxation Mm -hmm. on the drive home with Mm -hmm. a car full of kids. Maybe she got way too high, way too fast, and felt like drinking some vodka would kind of Mm. counteract that. But there's something about the combination of THC and alcohol that can just... It amplifies Amplify both of them and make you just completely out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look at the toxicology report or to the autopsy to see, was there anything else in her stomach that would have supported the edibles? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't even think of that, that her stomach would have... Because, well, she ate at McDonald's and she stopped at... Well, she didn't buy anything at the gas station, but she had eaten breakfast at McDonald's. 
And because uh, this whole meandering trip of hers is put together with like video footage from where she, you can see her duck into the gas station looking for yeah. She said pain, pain relievers, yeah. yeah. Then, uh, like, there's video of her putting gas in the car. I guess the tolls track that she went through this mm-hmm. highway and that highway. And then there's also a part be- shortly before the crash where she's driving at top speed down a highway in the correct direction, mm-hmm. but fast enough and wildly enough to get people's attention and really scare them. Yeah. And there was one woman who said she came barreling up behind us so fast I was bracing myself for an accident. And she was just laying on the horn and just really, you know, yeah. up against their bumper. And they got off at the same rest area. Mm-hmm. This woman and her husband continued to the cars area. And you know how it'll split off to the trucks go over here? They said Diane went over to the trucks area. So they weren't walking distance to yeah. where they thought they might be. And that she appeared doubled over like she was getting sick. Yeah. And because she'd gone over into the truck area, they weren't close enough to talk to her like they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't imagine what I would say if... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, you, yeah, I, I would mean, never go and approach someone who had just honked well, at no, me. because and... they're, they're obviously capable of who knows what. Yeah. It does make you wonder, was she getting sick? And was would there have been a way mm-hmm. to go up and calm her? You know, even if she wasn't angry. Yeah. To go and calm her and somebody look after the kids to mm-hmm. get everybody out of the car. Yeah. Because it just seemed like that was the last chance for somebody to stop. When mm-hmm. it well, and it, she had pulled over there at the toll plaza at one point too, and that's where she left her phone. Yeah. But during that phone call to her brother, he said she was slurring her words and, and referred to him as Danny. Yeah. yeah, called him by her husband's name. And, so he knew she wasn't right. Yeah, and he told her, stay right there. I'm coming to get you. And she left her phone. So it's almost like she was being stubborn. You know, like, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. Yeah. And I don't want to hear any more from you. So I'm leaving the phone here and I'm just going on. Yeah. So the people you talk to most in this documentary are her husband, Daniel, and then his sister-in-law, his brother's wife, Jay, who has invested a lot of time in trying to clear Diane's name and come up with some alternate um, explanation for this. And I thought it was really interesting that there was one point in this where Jay and the and the filmmaker are somewhere and she's stressed out and lights up a cigarette. And she's like, don't put this in the movie because they're at my, my family doesn't know. My I family smoke. doesn't know I smoke. And I'm like, well, there you go. Right there. This family is like, that's, yeah. that's a perfect example of things that you do that your family doesn't know you do. Yeah. It's just really sad. Terribly sad. And there's one surviving child. Right. who sustained a head injury that affects his vision now. And he doesn't have a really great memory for the trip, but he does remember, and Jay says he repeats this no matter how often he's asked, that mommy didn't feel, mommy's head hurt and mm-hmm. mommy couldn't see, mm-hmm. which is part of why they thought she might have had a stroke or something like mm-hmm. that. There was nothing in the autopsy, even when they looked for it specifically to support that there had been some sort of medical event to explain this. And even if there had been a medical event... That wouldn't explain the high levels of alcohol and THC. Yeah, I know some people speculated that she had previously had an abscess tooth and that just prior to the accident, you know, she had been rubbing her jaw and she stopped and asked for pain relievers at the gas station. So there was speculation it could have been her tooth pain and she was self-medicating for that. But in the autopsy, there was no abscess on her tooth either. Mm. And then some people 
have speculated that she could have had blood sugar issues Mm -hmm. because she had been diagnosed as diabetic. But when you look at the facts, she was actually gestational Mm -hmm. diabetic, which is a temporary condition. And so her blood sugar shouldn't have been abnormal unless she was just not diagnosed. But I personally feel like, I mean, because you see this pop up on Unsolved Mysteries a lot. And I'm like, well, it doesn't seem unsolved to me. It seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. I mean, she was drunk and high. Right. That part is certainly not a mystery. We know what caused her to be so out of her head that she Mm -hmm. was flying down the highway the wrong direction. But the mystery to me is how did any of that, how did all of that go unnoticed before that day? Mm-hmm. Or, or what specifically made her want to get behind the wheel with that a day, family yes. in the car? Why would, why, you know, as I say, even if she were openly alcoholic, why on that short trip would she have drank that much yeah. and smoked that much or, or eaten or whatever it was. So the, the best explanation I've heard is that thing with the edibles because mm-hmm. it would explain the THC in her system without the without her smoking girls. in front of the kids yeah. who would obviously notice that and <laughs> mention it. Yeah, because they did talk on the phone to, to their know. parents. Yeah. yeah. So I could see how if she just like gobbled down two pot brownies and was only supposed to do a quarter of one <laughs> that would send her through the roof and she might panic and guzzle some vodka hoping to counteract it crazy yeah but why did she even plan to bring the vodka with her you know her husband thought it was tucked away safely i think behind the tv in the camper because that was what they had camping you know why did she decide to bring that with her well, didn't he at some point say they didn't have it at all? And then turned around and said, no, it was kind of in the camper. Yeah. We'd have a sip or two. Yeah. Yeah. At first, he denied everything. All over the place. Yeah. I don't know if you read the New York Magazine article about this, and the reporter was in the documentary as well who wrote the article, but it was a lengthier article about the situation and his take on the husband was according to him, every time you ask, Diane never did anything wrong and they had a perfect marriage when she's a saint and they never argued about anything and but if you've just lost a loved one wouldn't you as part of that coping just think about the good stuff anyway but unfortunately he was just under such scrutiny and in front of the press and everyone else at that point we all got to watch that unfortunately Yeah. yeah But I probably would do the same thing if Mm -hmm. something happened to someone close to me and it was a tragedy and I had to be in front of the camera. I wouldn't want to say anything bad either. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much, especially with Jay, like Daniel, I feel like has his own reasons for wanting to deny. But with Jay as the sister-in-law who's equally determined to Mm -hmm. clear Diane's name, I wonder how much of her insistence is denying what she has clearly seen and known. And how much of it is just really not having seen or known it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she did say Diane did smoke pot. I mean, she admitted that, where the other people didn't, said it helped her sleep. Yeah. But I don't know. Because there are things that your husband would know about you that your sister-in-law wouldn't necessarily know about you. But they did have different sleep schedules and different work schedules. So she could probably hide a lot more than most wives could. I thought it was interesting. The National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism estimates that one-third of all alcoholics are women, although many experts consider that estimate way too low because of the strategies women often use to conceal their addiction. Hmm. So, um, you know, maybe she was uh, just really good at concealing her addiction. 
I just don't know. I feel like I can't carry on a coherent conversation in a bar after three or four drinks. Yeah. I can't imagine moving through life and lots and lots of responsibilities with mm-hmm. plenty of alcohol. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I don't understand how it's done. I mean, I guess it... And she had trouble sleeping. Gradually, we know that. Yeah. But, you know, some people speculate, too, that she had regained a lot of weight. And, you know, a lot of times that's part of drinking too you know, it's a lot of speculation but we'll never know obviously we'll never know what was going through her mind that day yeah i was reading some updates the family of two of the other victims in the other car it was two men and one family friend but the bastardi family who mm-hmm. they lost two family members in the crash they're very angry currently or you know, have been ever since the crash because they feel like the Hanses should speak up because there was some unspoken knowledge they gained from some of those last phone calls that they haven't been honest about. Mm. So there were a lot of lawsuits that popped up. I mean, a flurry of lawsuits. Everything from Daniel Schuler suing at the county over the road condition to, you know, the the Hanses and the Schuler family sued each other something to do with a minivan or whatever i mean just a whole lot of lawsuits but the bastardi family you know i guess they've settled or some of the lawsuits have been dropped but they're still very angry that they feel like there are a lot of unsaid things still out there that could help them understand what really happened yeah the title of the documentary comes from the last thing the hanses heard their daughter emma say Mm -hmm. and so the kids were aware that she was not acting right and that was just within a few minutes before the crash but she had apparently been driving erratically before then which maybe as a kid yeah goofing off in the back seat you wouldn't necessarily notice until it yeah horns started honking and things got truly scary well and but when she said that diane took the phone and said the kids are playing it's nothing oh was that that call Mm -hmm. i see i was thinking that was a later call that she just called and said that yeah so she was consciously aware that she was probably too far for driving in my opinion if she did that i mean i I understand being stubborn but i mean that Mm -hmm. was just stupid yeah oh the whole thing just makes no sense at all no it's just really troubling to think that somebody could you know Mm -hmm. either you know snap in terms of getting into a dangerous situation that they ordinarily wouldn't do or snap doing it purposely yeah i mean the worst part about all of this is can you even imagine being in that car while that's happening and you're consciously aware that this is not right you're scared to death Mm -hmm. and and i can't imagine getting the phone call at home yeah all three of my children are in that car and there's clearly something wrong with the person driving it yeah not in her right mind and you would just be powerless to you can't get from here to there that fast no and then you don't even really know where to go i mean once you start out it's like a needle in a haystack I know. And I, Diane and Daniel lost Diane herself, obviously, and their daughter in the crash. They have one surviving son. This family's entire, all of their children gone. Yeah. And I remember reading sometime afterward that she became pregnant again. That they, um, I guess she had gotten her tubes tied after the third child was born. Right. So when all three children were killed in the crash, they had a few years of not knowing what was next for them and Mm -hmm. grieving and trying to sort things out. And then they started IVF. Right. Pregnant again. 
Um, I haven't seen anything after that. Yeah, they had a baby girl, Casey Rose, on October 11th, 2011. And she had written a book called I'll See You Again in 2013. And apparently, I I didn't read the book, but apparently she talked a great deal about their period between when the daughters were killed and their baby was born. They would even have conversations about, you know, which one of us should kill ourselves so we can be with the girls again. You know, it was just that dire and that sad. And so when they did have the new baby, the quote was it brought them back to life. I hope they're doing okay. I haven't seen anything more recent, so hopefully they're just living their lives. And I hope so. And I hope, I can't imagine how if I would be if that new child. Yeah. Oh my God, I'd never put her in a car <laughs> at all. I know. Oh, I, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around that kind of loss. And that's, I, I, that they stayed together after that is yeah really miraculous and beautiful because that, that kind of grief can just right. crush you sometimes. Yeah, and apparently they don't, speak to the Schulers anymore and you know I can't really blame them for that Diane was their tie to Daniel Schuler, and she's no longer here and after such a tragedy I'm sure they would just rather not have to deal with that and even Brian the child it would be hard to be around well, he, well now right yeah uh, he was five then that was in oh eight oh nine oh nine oh nine yeah so oh wow he would be like 16 yeah. No, 13. 13? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't <laughs> Math majors. <laughs> he was five then. That was eight years ago. What is this year anyway? <laughs> I don't know. He'd be 13. Yeah. Yeah. So he would be protective of his mother. And yeah. Not that you would even bring her name up, but I don't know. It would just, I, I would have a hard time being around the surviving child. Yeah. When all three of mine. Oh, I know. I mean, why couldn't it, just one of mine lived even? I mean, oh, it's just so awful. But there is a startling part of this documentary where the timeline is sort of all over the place. Mm-hmm. You hear a little bit of interview with the family, and then you see a little bit of footage of where she was. And over time, they sort of roll out this meandering trip that she did and all the different weird turns that she took and all of that. And then when you get up to the part where they're talking about the accident itself... They talk about the people who saw it and got out of their cars and went to call 911 and mm-hmm. figure out if anybody could be saved. The guy is talking about how he pulled the door open and Diane fell out onto him. Yeah. And as he's telling this story, the screen goes to a crime scene photo, I guess, of Diane lying there dead <laughs> right. on the grass with, you know, just kind of flopped out like she was clearly already gone. Yeah. And her eyes just kind of pointing in different directions, her arms all askew. And when that first showed up on the screen, I was like, please don't show me those children. Don't show me no. those children. I don't no. want to see those children. And thankfully they didn't, but they did show Diane in... What a what that impact, just that physical right. impact at that speed does to the human body. I, know. I mean, just tears on the skin. Yeah, and, and I read, uh, I guess the autopsy said her, a lot of the bones in her face were broken. And uh, you're right, she was unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. And when the filmmaker chose to show that, I wondered if that was their way of implying she's not innocent mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. You know, versus the children obviously are. Right. And I do think that would be horribly wrong to show them. Yeah. But the fact that the filmmaker chose to show Diane's body like that, mm-hmm. I thought, was sending a message, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it just was so 
startling to see and to know. I mean, it's, it's silly, but when I hear of people dying in a car accident now, I'm like, wow, 2017, how can people still die in a car accident? Yeah. We've got airbags, we've got seatbelts, we've got every year cars get safer and yet it still happens and obviously it still happens it happens because we're human and we make bad decisions right and it still involves going across the ground at like you know speeds you know 70 miles an hour or more even obviously that's going to tear a person up no matter how well restrained they are or what kind of features are in the car right but to see with your own eyes in front of it, oh my gosh, that just just flying and stopping at that speed just tore her arm open. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. And killed her instantly. Killed her instantly. Yeah. Who knows what other injuries she sustained, but just that it can tear an arm open is just wild. And then, of course, head-on collisions, you get the energy, the force of energy from both vehicles. Both. So, I mean, she would have been doing 150 mile an hour plus. Yeah. You know, the energy from that type of motion is super destructive. I mean, you know, they showed the pictures of the minivan, too. And even before it caught fire and burned, you could tell it was just crushed. Yeah. So, but if that's a suicide mission, that seems to me like, what a... Strange way to choose. I mean, never mind that you've got the kids in the car with you, and that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted to do myself in, I would not choose and doing in the people in the other car. That's not right. So she's taking yeah. seven people down with her, so which is not right. Yeah. But even if I were determined to do it myself in, I could not imagine doing it in a car, just revving up to top speed and slamming into a tree. Because yeah. the odds are you're not going to die. Right. But you're going to be horribly injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever you're trying to escape from might just be made even worse because now you can't walk. Right. You know, it just, you seem like such a logical woman in other, every other respect. Yeah. What I also found surprising about this is when you start doing any research on what was her state of mind, what are other details about her life, that sort of thing, there's surprisingly little information out there, which I found very surprising because there are little snippets here and there where people will say something like, she got into an argument with the clerk at McDonald's that morning because her son wanted chicken McNuggets and it was the breakfast hour. So they Mm -hmm. didn't have chicken McNuggets and she yelled at him. But that was someone's post on some thread where people are discussing this. But there isn't anything officially written in the press that says that. So I don't know if that's actually true or not. But there should, it seems like there should be stories like that out there Mm -hmm. from coworkers or neighbors or people she interacted with. I did read a couple of articles. I think it was actually the New York magazine article about it where one friend that he talked to did say she always honked at other cars you know she was quick on that horn and Mm. she was very temperamental in traffic and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. which seems like okay you got a lot of pent-up rage here you know Mm -hmm. i think if the mcdonald's story is true that might kind of speak to where her mind was that morning she was not in a great mood yeah you know to begin with that sort of thing i found it interesting that there isn't a lot out there like that and what is out there the little parts like the mcdonald's thing it it's not like anything official you know yeah seems like there should be more of that Mm -hmm. but everything you see out there is what we saw in the documentary and really nothing more yeah i think that's a good point you made earlier about not hearing any from anybody she works with yeah Um, maybe it was company policy but you know i'm sure people have left the company by now and wouldn't care if they lost their jobs because yeah yeah 
you know, if you're spending really at least as much time with your coworkers as you are with your spouse. Oh, yeah. Especially if your spouse has an opposite work schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things that people I've worked with can tell you about my daily habits that yeah. probably wouldn't even think of just because. Right. And she was a director over collections and billing, which if you've ever worked in collections or with collectors, mm-hmm. they are a stress-filled bunch and it's not a happy job. It really makes me wonder. I mean, it's. Yeah. Where did she yeah. go for lunch? Yeah. What did she, you know. How did she release Steamed. I mean, drinking? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when things went bad in the office. Yeah. What would she do? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot of insight in there. But there's <clears throat> not much out there, unfortunately. Yeah. There's nothing good out there either. I mean, you would think there would be something, one or the other, mm-hmm. of, from people that she worked with. or There's something about, you hear this a lot, too, in stories where people have major issues in adulthood. And I don't know why this is different between mothers and fathers, but when the mother leaves the family, doesn't it seem like there's always some kind of really far-reaching effects of that? Oh, why is yeah. it not the same? I mean, not not to say it's a big party if your dad leaves when you're young either, but that seems to happen much more frequently. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it's, it's, it's not that unusual, so maybe it doesn't have those crazy far-reaching um, consequences. But every time I hear of a story of a child whose mother willingly left when they were a child, mm-hmm. there's some kind of real after that yeah being a mom is hard yeah yeah i think it goes back to that mental load part too oh it just transfers to the child well it it transfers to the child definitely but i think also if a mom leaves her family in the care of the dad and that mental load gets shifted like you said to the child Mm -hmm. but it also leaves much more of a big hole when the mother leaves versus the dad um, because of that mental load. Yeah. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary now of Princess Diana's death. And I remember reading a biography of her where in an interview she said that her earliest memory was of looking out the window and watching her mom walk out to the car with oh, a suitcase in hand. Wow. And she said, after telling this story, she said, when you feel as a child that your mother doesn't love you, you feel like you're unlovable. And that haunted her throughout the rest of her short life. Obviously yeah. not to this degree, but it, yeah. it was something that she said it made her feel unlovable and made her a little more susceptible to marrying a man who didn't really love her. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Wanting to get, seek approval from people that she didn't feel like she had the way most of us get it. Yeah. And um, like I, I know I have friends whose mothers left when they were young and it is a period of trying to push it down and everything's fine and everything's cool and I feel like that only lasts so long and then it blows up in their face if they aren't you know dealing with it through therapy or right working out some kind of relationship with her that works for them it just seems like it really do somebody in yeah and that for us as moms that's a lot of responsibility yeah you know not like I have any plans to go anywhere but it's kind of galling to think that if he left probably shake out okay but if I left then I've just ruined an entire I know <laughs> generation of children you know I know it's um I don't know why that's such a difference yeah we carry them in our belly and they, <laughs> I mean, and even with supportive fathers, I think, um, you know, women do still end up performing a lot of the domestic mm-hmm. work and also the care of the kids. So, I mean, there's naturally, I think more of a bond and closeness, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, well, a different kind of bond and a different kind of closeness than dads have. Yeah. I mean, dads are important obviously, but I think as far as impacting day-to-day of a smaller child, usually it's the mom. Maybe it was just too much for her. And I also can't understand 
having children with somebody who tells you really mm-hmm. doesn't want them. I wonder, I mean, that came from Jay, mm-hmm. the sister-in-law. I mean, who told Jay that? She never said, did she hear it directly or was that something that she... Somebody whispered at Thanksgiving. And she... Exactly. Like, a, yeah. you know, it could have evolved from what was originally said. Right. Who knows? I mean, yeah. Daniel never said that directly. Although after, you know, in the documentary, after the death of Diane, he did still work nights. He so, didn't seem overly eager to take care of remaining son. Not at the end. No, he took off work an extended period of time to be with Brian while he recovered. Mm-hmm. But after that, he did go back to work. But, you know, they, I think I read this versus it was in the documentary. He only made 46000 a year versus the six-figure salary that Diane had. So he was having trouble, you know, paying the mortgage. And with what kind of insurance did she have? Mm, that's a good question, too. Um, but if she was drunk, I doubt if insurance, I don't think insurance would pay if she was a drunk driver. That's awful. So maybe that explains why he sued the owners of the minivans, his brother-in-law. Right. Ugh. Kind of that's an awful situation. Trying to get what he can. Yeah, to help with medical bills and mm. his yeah, lawsuits. Yeah, rationalizing about that. Like, well, we're suing the insurance company. We're not suing him. Right. Malady. It's just the... It's just so sad. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. one decision can affect so many lives. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we'll never know why that decision was made, but. And if she did it on purpose, then why all that driving around while she was getting that drunk? Yeah. Well, Unless she was just, just so disoriented. Chug the vodka and crash 10 minutes after leaving the campsite. I don't understand why all over the state. Yeah, unless she was indecisive about it. They did call the mother of the three girls and say they would be late mm-hmm. uh, for whatever they were supposed to go to that afternoon. So, I mean, she had to have been deciding things at that point. She knows she's going to be late for wherever they're supposed to be because mm-hmm. she should have been there by then. I mean, they left at 930. Should have been home by 11 or so at the latest, but, you know, right, even there was the one o'clock. Yeah. I know. Yeah, with those hours ticking by, I just don't... Was she just undecided about doing it and then just bit the bullet? I mean, I don't know. That's the worst thing is just not knowing. Yeah. I mean, you obviously know what led to it. That part is not a mystery anymore. And, you know, when people... I, I've seen, like, in... Um, Some of the Facebook groups we belong to for, like, making a murder and stuff like that. Yeah. come up. Sometimes and people will say, "Well, obviously she was drunk, and obviously she was high." Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that part we get. Nobody's disputing that part. Well, some people do still look for medical reasons why. Do they really? Yeah, like her blood sugar was off, and you know, I know that, that does not explain the alcohol. I know. Or the, yeah, yeah. So that part's not a mystery. The mystery is everything leading up to the ingestion of that alcohol yeah. and the the THC. Right. And I just the only thing that in my mind makes sense doesn't make her a truly awful person is the edibles. Yeah. She just got a hold of that thinking, I need to get high, but I can't smoke in front of the kids. Just to take the edge off. Yeah. And then she ended up through the roof high. And high logic says, drink some vodka. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Take the edge off. But yeah, there's no way to know. I also feel like even if I were high and completely out of my mind, I would like to think that my lizard brain, Mm -hmm. my instinct would just kick in and say, maybe you need to pull over. Yeah. Make up whatever story you have to, you know. Yeah. But pull over. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, that kind of makes me wonder if it really was just a suicide mission at that point. And maybe something had happened with the parents of the daughters that she, for some reason, wanted to destroy their lives, too. I mean, she could see, if she had this deep-seated resentment for her mother for leaving, I could see her having this, a similar resentment for her brother. For who had the people a relationship she, with her mom. Who had a relationship with the mom and also was one of the people that she had to take care of after mom left. Right. So I could see her kind of seething at him a little bit. But, but what would have like pushed her over the edge. Driving kids into a tree kind yeah. of seething, you know? Right. Just don't, not knowing is so much worse than mm-hmm. whatever horrible thing, you know, if she had mailed them a letter that said, I'm going to kill myself and all the kids too. Yeah. That would be awful, but at least you would know. Yeah. It's not knowing whether to be angry at her or whether to be, feel bad for her. It's, I felt bad for her if she had just stayed off the road that day, but I'm angry at her for making that decision to stay behind the wheel. Yeah. Especially after pulling over a couple times, especially if she did get sick. And why did she get back behind the wheel? Yes. Except for, you know, when her brother said, stay where you are, did he know she had a drinking problem? And he's like, oh, she's messed up again. I can't believe this. I can't believe I let her take the kids. And now she's messed up. I got to go rescue her. And then stubbornness put her back on the road because she's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Right. And this all speculation, obviously, but that's the only thing that makes any sense to me. A stupid, stubborn decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of it that way, that being told to stay put might have just made her obstinate and you're not going to tell me what to do. I don't know. Now I'm going to just keep going. And leaving the phone, he's just going to keep harassing me. I'm just going to go on home. And she was completely smashed at that point. Mm. And was she driving down the road just chugging from an absolute bottle? <laughs> well, she bought orange juice at McDonald's and she bought an iced coffee. So I wonder if she poured some her. in. And was just drinking it out of the cup. I mean, how else would you? Be a lot of ten shots. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like a. I mean, a lot of vodka. Yeah, refilling it every time they got to a stoplight or something. But they were on highway the whole time. I don't know. I don't know. And the footage of her at the gas station and the gas station attendant—they said she didn't appear intoxicated. Yeah, and I mean, it's that sort of halting video, so it's hard to really tell, you know, Mm -hmm. small signs of intoxication when you're watching it, but she certainly didn't seem to be swaying or staggering. No. Man. She must have just chugged it. She wasn't just sipping a screwdriver. (sighs) She had to have chugged it after that. Unless, they didn't have the ibuprofen. So I don't like know. It. I don't know. <laughs> but by then, she, the, the trip had already taken way too long. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like she just... So if she was sober up to that point, she was knowingly doing something. I don't know. She was making a conscious decision to delay for some reason, at least. Unreal. The family of the Bastardis also wrote a book, The Son of One of the Victims, about what impact it had on his family's life. That's the son of... Yeah, one of the Bastardis. Um, the Bastardis were a father and son in the car, right? And then a family friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael Bastardi Jr. is the author of the book. Yeah, it was Michael Bastardi, 81, and his 49-year-old son, Guy Bastardi, and then family friend Daniel Longo. They were on their way to a family cookout. Must be very strange to be one of the people who dodged her that day. Oh gosh! Realize it how it easily it could have been you. That is, it's so scary. I mean, we never know when we go out. Like you said, we're 
just this fragile creature in this surrounded by a lot of plastic now, not even a lot of sheet metal. And, you know, I think about it a lot on the interstate when we're inches away from another vehicle and we're all going 70, 75 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, we're putting a lot of faith in other people and their decisions. And we're also putting a lot of faith in the mechanical parts mm-hmm. of the, the vehicles around us. Mm-hmm. If any one thing goes wrong mm-hmm. and we don't have enough cushion of space, you know, yeah. it's just up to fate. Yeah. And that's how it was for the Bastardis and Mr. Longo. Mm-hmm. And we never know, you know, what kind of person is behind the wheel. What their mind is. Right. What they're concentrating. Yeah. <laughs> what they were up to before they got on the highway. They might be on a suicide mission, too. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I had kind of hoped that her family, by the end of this, would come into some sort of acceptance of the situation. And I... I honestly don't know if even by now they have. <laughs> Never yeah. mind, you know, when the film was made, but I'd be surprised if even now they were like, yeah, we kind of saw some signs and she probably was hammered. And, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's a powerful drug. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard to speak evil of the dead, too. And, you know, when it's someone you loved. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Don't drink and drive. Yeah. And watch out for those edibles. They yeah. can sneak up on you. Those of you in Colorado. <laughs> in Colorado only. <laughs> All right. So is it time to end on a high note? I think so. I think we need some some high. Yes. So what do you have? <laughs> edibles. No. Um. <laughs> oh, we're in Colorado. <laughs> no. Well, it is edible, but it's not, the, it's not edible THC. Although if you're high, you might really enjoy this stuff. <laughs> it's a product called Palmetto Cheese. Oh. And some of you may be familiar with pimento cheese. I don't know if that's a southern thing or if that's all over the place, but I, you know, growing up would see pimento cheese like uh, on a plate or something. That mm, looks disgusting. I love pimento cheese. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> and then at some point, I guess when I was in college, maybe, I finally tried some pimento cheese and I was like, oh my God, this is delicious. Yeah. Why have I been refusing all this? this all my life yeah so it was the kind of thing that i would just you know pick up occasionally when i saw it and had kind of a hankering for it but there's this stuff called palmetto cheese which is marketed as pimento cheese with soul Ooh. and i'm not sure what the soul is i don't know what the secret recipe is <laughs> the secret ingredient i don't soul. know 11 herbs and spices or something but yeah the palmetto cheese is and i think it's called palmetto cheese because it is made in south carolina okay and so i guess maybe it is a southern thing so this is maybe marketed in a very limited area, <laughs> or maybe you can find it on Amazon, but it's palmetto cheese and it comes in two different varieties. Actually, I think I might come in three now. There's a regular and there's one with jalapenos and I feel like I saw one with bacon the mm. other day, but I just get the plain because mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of bacon and I don't really like spicy stuff and it's just delicious. Ooh. Tortilla, uh-huh. roll it up, uh-huh. delicious. So you get it in the like the refrigerated section? Yeah, it's in, um, I always find it at Costco. Costco has mm-hmm. a big giant tub of it and it's, you know, next to like the ricotta cheese okay. kind of thing. And at, like at the grocery store, you can get a smaller container of it and it's where the fresh cheeses are. Okay. Like not where the bags of cheese and the American cheese are, but like in the front in the deli section. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, because I do like pimento cheese, and I love soul. So. <laughs> You're in for a treat, sister. Good, Good stuff. So that's mine. How yeah. about you? Well. <laughs> oh, my God. She's stripping. Oh, oh what? We have a T-shirt. <laughs> nice. And um, I have one for you. <gasps> so nice. So, look at that. So, yeah. 
we have a T-shirt now for the cool official. This is a surprise to me. She started whipping her shirt off. I was like, "Where is this going?" I had on multiple layers for the for the record, but um, it's we have our very own official documentaries T-shirt. I love it, and uh, that one has not been washed, so there shouldn't be any foreign DNA on it. I'm sorry, there, there will be. I'm, there I'm, will be foreign DNA. Okay, so I can't get murdered in this. You need to, to wash, wash before wearing. Okay, it's out there on Amazon. If anyone wants to buy one, feel free. It's uh, it's priced pretty cheap. It's fourteen ninety nine, which isn't bad oh, for a t-shirt. But it's so cute, and it's got you and me and pickles. <laughs> I love it. Our official logo. That's wonderful. So, so how much did you say? Fourteen ninety nine. Fourteen ninety nine. And that's with Prime shipping. And what? so if you're a Prime num- member, you don't have to pay for shipping. And it obviously includes all the regular benefits of shopping on Amazon, like free returns and whatnot, if you don't like it. So check it out and buy one if you want. We're not really making any money. So I would say we would donate it if we were, but fourteen ninety nine <laughs> is kind of like, you know, what it's costing us. <laughs> but they're out there if you want them. So nice. Why not? Very cool. <laughs> so that's my happy place for the week. I thought that was fun to get that out there. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Um, if you haven't joined our Facebook page, be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash documentaries. And if you want, feel free to send us an email, talk about the podcast, do whatever at documentaries at gmail.com and always be sure to remember to rate and review us on iTunes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.